Oh, we're going to sing the preacher in? <laughs> One more time. Save my save my in the hollow of his hand. Shelter more, shelter more, when his love forevermore. No ill can harm me, no foe lunch and men's fellowship lunch so that's in the bulletin so a couple of clarifications about that ladies going to be there in the Sunday school room area for their after church um, fellowship lunch and then there's some pizza coming now the guys will be on this side so while they're eating over there we're going to eat over here there's also pizza for us over here so there's going to be 10 pizzas 5 here and 5 there or 6 there and 4 here or three there and seven here, or one there and nine here, or something like that. So the safe thing, to, the safe thing to do is to bring your sack lunch uh, for that. Okay, bring what you want to eat. It's not a potluck, so just bring what you want to eat. And so that's for next week. Okay. Um, anyway, I was going to say about fortune cookies. When you go to a restaurant, they always give you a fortune cookie, or if you go to pandas, they give a fortune cookie. And so here's some fortune cookies, actual fortune cookies. They're real. And so, um, this one is not funny, but it kind of is. This lady says, my coworker just came back from sick leave. He had a heart attack. To celebrate, we went to a Chinese dinner. These were in his fortune cookie. Four of them were this, quote, your heart will skip a beat. <laughs> that was the fortune cookies. Uh, and then here's another one, it says this. I cannot help you, I'm just a cookie. There's another message in the fortune cookie. Who makes these things up? His wife, this one says, uh, this guy says, his wife got a, a fortune cookie and the fortune said this quote, you've been focused too much on spending. Her husband got this fortune cookie. You've been focusing too much on saving. <laughs> and I'll end with this one because there's about six of them, but this one says this, uh, I see money in your future. Unfortunately, it's not yours. <laughs> Those are real fortunes, you know. Whoever writes these things are kind of funny. All right. Um, okay. Uh, last week I began with um, some teachings about interpreting the Bible and turn to John seventeen seventeen to start. John seventeen seventeen. Uh, because of this verse, we have some conclusions that we draw. John 17, 17. It's a famous verse. John 17, 17. 
Okay, John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to his heavenly father in the, um, and uh, uh, we, we are kind of eavesdropping to listen to what he says. In verse 17, he says, sanctify them, that be his disciples, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And so when he says thy word is truth, uh, there's another, there's other words that reflect what the word is. This would be the Bible. This would be scripture. Okay? And these would be the words of the Bible or words of God. So when it says thy word is truth, when it says thy word is truth, he is making a real big statement by saying that the Bible, the Bible's words is truth. And if you wanted to know ultimate truth, then the Bible has ultimate truth. That's what he's saying. And the, the truth of the Bible, the truth of the Bible connects to life now and life after. So the Bible, because it's from God, it talks about your life now and your life after. It addresses both areas of life. And so if a person wants to be smart or wise, then he would be wise to see what the Bible says about different issues of life. Uh, a lot of times people in society or culture is so backwards or turned upside down because they don't know what truth is and they make their own truth. Uh, truth is very subjective. So subjective truth is what I think it should mean is what it means. But that cannot be true. Now, I was going to say that word is truth and because it's truth, uh, what would what would be the logical conclusion about if the Bible is true? What do you think about the truth? Do you love the truth, appreciate the truth, expect the truth, or are you tolerant of error? If you if you like truth, let me use some scenarios to understand, help us understand about the truth. If you like carpentry, if you like to do good carpentry, you don't like things that are not level, things that are not straight, things that are not done right. If you like to eat good food, you don't like food that's not good. So this is the logical conclusion about thy word is truth. Because the Bible is true, then you oppose error. Error is not your thing because truth is your thing. Let me give you another example. If you like gardening, then you don't like something, if you like gardening. You don't like weeds and bugs and birds, minor birds, sparrows, okay? Mojitos and everything else. If you like good medicine, you don't like bad medicine. So the logic is, if something is good, you don't want something that is wrong in regard to the thing that is true. Uh, one more example here. Uh, good medicine. If you like good music, you don't like bad music. There's a lot of bad music in this world, and there's a lot of good music. But then if you like good music, if you if you want music that soothes your soul, then you don't like music that agitates your soul. See? If you like honesty, you don't like dishonesty. So having told you all these things, uh, when it comes to the Bible, because it is truth, we, we don't want error. We don't want error, okay? In other words, you who believe the Bible, you don't like people who use the Bible for selfish reasons or wrong reasons. You don't want error, you want truth. Make sense? So we're gonna go there today. Last week was the word discrimination. So just a word about that one, discrimination. And everyone today reads that word as in racial, but it's not racial. 
Racial discrimination is not what this is about. This is about seeing differences. When you see differences, you are safe and you are going to be a, uh, a safer person in this world. If you don't see a discrimination, or if you don't discriminate between the colors red, yellow, and green, you are a dangerous person because you won't regard what red means. You're going to say, oh, that's green to me, so I'm going to go through the intersection. You're a dangerous person. Okay? So you have to be discriminatory. Today, before you got to church, you dressed and you, you discriminated what you're going to wear today. Now, I don't have any choice what I wear to church because my wife picks them out for me. So she has in the closet all of my shirts. She's got them like that from left to right. If Today, I'm wearing this on the left side. And when I'm done with this one, after this wash, it's going to go to the far side. But then the next one in line is the next one I'm going to wear. I have no choice. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's how it works. Uh, yeah, I just wear the same thing all the time. That's what I am. I wear the same pants all the time, the same socks. I mean, I wash the socks, but <laughs> I wear the same black socks, the same pant, the, the same shoes all the time because it's comfortable. I used to have dress shoes, but I thought, you know what? My feet bother me standing up on hard floor. And I just wear shoes that's comfortable. So if you think my shoes are not um, too churchy for you, not church enough for you, I just say, well, too bad because it's comfortable for my feet. And so I wear the same thing except for that shirt. Now, she discriminates what to wear. Uh, when it comes to different kind of things that we like or don't like, it's because we're discriminatory. So it's not a bad thing. Francis was talking about carpentry, about using what, 3,000 grit, 2,000 grit, 3,000 grit sandpaper. I think 220 is really fine, but he says there's 3,000 grit, which is like to make the wood really, really, really smooth and just really smooth. And then, uh, see, he likes stuff like that. If he said, if you went to buy furniture and the thing looked like, it wasn't finished, he would not like that. It would upset him. It would be, what, pay $500 for this? It's not even done right. So he would be opposed to that. All this is to say, if you love the truth, you oppose error. Okay? You have to oppose error if you love the truth. So discrimination was the beginning point for us, and it is a good word. It is to show differences, and we must see the differences. Not that differences are bad. Differences are not bad. Seeing differences are not bad. No, it's not bad at all. It is good. It's good to see differences. It's good to see the difference between a male and a female. It's good to see the difference between an honest person and a dishonest person. It's good to see the differences. You cannot trust someone who is dishonest. If you just say, he looks like an honest person. What do you mean he looks like an honest person? What does that look like, an honest person? What you're really looking at is his behavior. And if he's an honest person, you can trust him. Um, but if he's not honest, you stay away from a person like that. That's how it works out. And so in everything in life, you have to uh, be discerning, be discriminatory, and see differences, and not let, not let wrong things come into your thinking so that you buy into things that are wrong. Now today, today we'll look at another way of interpreting the Bible, and this is taking the Bible literally. This is interpretation. Interpretation. Now, when I'm not sure how to spell word, I just mess it up like that. That's the secret. Okay? That's the secret. Interpretation. I do know how to spell it, but up here, it doesn't look the same to me. Uh, when it comes to interpreting the Bible, we have to do some, do some basic, fundamental ways of looking at the Bible and, and digesting it and interpreting it the proper way. It's called hermeneutics. Here's another big word. Big words today. Hermen. Hermeneutics. 
And this is the art and science of Bible interpretation. And that is the definition of Hermes. When you hear the word Hermes, it's not about a man named Herman <laughs> who's underwater, because that's not nautical. That's this is a study, a science and study of interpreting Bible the proper way. Because there are ways to do it the right way. Um, in medicine, when I go to the pharmacist at Costco, or any pharmacist really, they have to know so many things. And I always think, how can they keep everything straight? How can they keep everything straight? They must know some basic terminology and basic root words and the meanings to kind of sort everything out. And doctors, doctors too. So many terms, so many different things that can happen to the human body. They have to know so many things. Medicine, carpentry, plumbing, electricity, painting, music, anything you think about. There's basic things about it. It's called the rudiments. The rudiments of something, the fundamentals of something. Now, there's fundamentals to interpreting the Bible. And if you go by these fundamental rules, you come up pretty straight and correct. You will not fall into the category of error. You don't want to be wrong on your prescriptions, wrong on the meds, wrong on a lot of things because they can do damage to you, um, to your body and to other things too. You don't want to be wrong about uh, finances. You don't want someone to tell you, yeah, you should really invest in cryptocurrency and you should really invest in uh, this and that and so on, whatever like that, without checking things out. I remember... Uh, maybe 10 years ago, there was a push among Christians to get into the Zion oil somewhere in Israel. They were saying, yeah, you got to get in now and invest in this oil thing. And uh, we've got so many billions and billions of barrels of oil on it and, and, and everything else. I never hear about it anymore. But it was like a fever at one time. And people invest a lot of money into that. But you want to be sure that you're not taking because things sound good. Remember one time the Gibeonites, neighbors of the Jews, they're coming into the land and uh, they were conquering everyone that they came across. And then now the Gibeonites heard about that and they were afraid of the Jews. And so they pretend to be from a far country and they disguised themselves. They wore old sandals, old clothes. They got moldy bread, probably from Costco or something that left out too long. And it turned green and blue. And so they came to Joshua and they said, we're from a far country. And, uh, we're, and, and so Joshua, without praying about it, he just said, well, it looks like, looks like you are from a far country. It looks like, you, yeah, your shoes are kind of worn out. Your clothes look kind of wiped out. You look kind of gone. And yeah, I, I think you're telling me the truth. And he, he assumed that he was believing the truth, but they were lying to him. And so a lot of times we can bind to something that's not true, but it's really an error. We'll get into that in just a second. And so hermeneutics, okay? Now, uh, the literal interpretation, the literal view of the Bible... Now, what that only means, what that only means is this. When you read the Bible, the first thing you do is to read the Bible and take it at face value. What it says is often what it means. Literal interpretation. That's the first rule of Bible interpretation to get it properly uh, correct. That's the literal interpretation. Take it for what it says. Now, when you read the paper, I don't know if you read papers anymore, but uh, when it was a big deal and there was no internet and you read the paper, if the headline said, Governor, well, what governor can I think of? Um, governor Linda Lingo wins second term. What does that mean? It has a meaning. You take it literally. She won again. 
Accident on H1 freeway by Pro City. 2,000 car pileup. What does that mean? A big accident, 2,000 car pileup. Do you remember when there was a big stall on the freeway? It lasted about 12 hours from west, from east to west. Remember that? People were sitting in their cars for nine hours. Rush hour until evening time. It was bad. The news says cars bumper to bumper on H1 West. What does that mean? Well, it means what it says. Cars were backed up bumper to bumper for nine hours because you take it literally. Okay? So when you read the Bible, you take it literally at the first thing. Remember this. The first impression you get is, and the first thought you have about the truth is to take it for what it says. Now, I will also get into the other part where there is symbolism too. There is symbolism. There is allegory. There is a deeper meaning to the literal meaning. And that's all a part of it too. But the first thing you do is to take things literally. That's the safest thing. Let's look at some verses. Write some of these verses down. And let's look at what the Bible says. And let's see if you should take this literally or symbolically. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. The rule that we should follow when it comes to the Bible is to take things literally at face value at first. After that, you begin to look for other meanings because there are other meanings too. But the first meaning in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning... Whenever the beginning was, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, how do you take that statement? If the rule is take this literally, then you would conclude, okay, whenever the beginning was, God created the heaven and the earth. So if you stop there and say, I take literally, you'd be right. Because it's not possible for God, who is all-powerful, to create everything out of nothing. Sure, but it's not possible for man to do that, but it's possible. Not even Elon Musk can do this. He can fly to Mars, but he can't do that. And if Congress passes a law saying that we must we must um, um, create something out of nothing, they cannot do that even though they tax you to death. The government cannot, man cannot do what God can do. So in the context of everything, Whenever the beginning was, God created the heaven and earth. We take it at face value. We don't say, well, um, uh, no, that doesn't mean what it says. See, that would be going into the error side now of interpretation because by faith you have to accept what it says. Take it literally. Here's another example. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1, in verses 3 through 25. We won't read the verses naturally. But in verses 3 through 25, you have the account of creation. The six days of creation. Now, it says often here, in the evening and the morning was the first day. And so on. Look at verse 19. The evening and the morning were the fourth day. So you have the day as defined as evening and morning. So in Jewish thinking, the evening begins the day. We say morning and evening. But it doesn't matter because there's still a 24-hour period. So you find from verses 3 through 25 in chapter 1, the creation of everything in six literal days. 
No, people don't think that is true. They think that's not possible because the geological ages and all the so-called scientific evidence to define. But we take it for what it says. Here's something else. In verse 26, Genesis 1, 26. Literal interpretation is a safe way to interpret the Bible. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So what does that verse say? On the sixth day, God made man after his own image, after his likeness. That's another discussion, but he says man is to have dominion over the earth. So that means man is to rule the earth. But that means that God made man in a literal sense from the dirt. And I think you can prove that man has in his body chemically elements of the dirt of the earth. Iron, dirt, gold or something. <laughs> gold in the filling. But he's got stuff in him that is reflective of the dirt of the earth's chemicals. Well, that's another good lesson at another time. Now look at chapter 3, verse number 1. Literal statements, from the very beginning of the first book of the Bible, literal statements to be taken literally. Chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent, wherever that is, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Okay, statement is saying this. There's a thing called the serpent. He's in the field. There's other beasts in the field. And he's more subtle, he's more sneaky, more crafty, more more, more devilish mm -hmm. than any other creature. And he said unto the woman, verse 1, that woman to be Eve, he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said that, and stop there. You find that God is saying in the beginning of the creation, after man was created, there in the garden, there's a serpent that came. A serpent that came. The serpent apparently is upright, is not crawling like that as we know today. The serpent is talking. The serpent is talking because he said, the serpent said unto the woman. So you find here at the very beginning some fantastic words, some fantastic statements. And if you were to believe the Bible and take it literally, you're going to say there was a real woman named Eve. There's a real serpent that talked to this woman. And then the beginning of the fall began to take place from this point. And so literal statements. Now, you remember Jonah chapter 1. You remember, um, you remember this story about Jonah? Chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. And verse 17. Jonah chapter 1. And verse 17. The story of Jonah is... A real story because of just uh, because of the verse we'll look at just a second but in Jonah chapter 1 Jonah was told to go to Nineveh he didn't want to go to Nineveh and so he ran away in the opposite direction and this is just a real skinny uh, review of it but then he gets on a boat pays his ticket it's a Norwegian cruise he's heading in the wrong direction and there's a storm at sea, and the superstitious sailors think that somebody has done something wrong. They draw lots, and it's going to be falling on the short stick gets on Jonah. And look at verse 17. 
Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, the rule is take things literally. If you take it literally, what happened to Jonah? What happened to Jonah? this was literal. The rule is take things literally, and we should. But it sounds too fantastic. We're going to go to the New Testament and show you a verse where someone acknowledged this statement as a real event, a real account, something that literally happened. But before we get there, remember that in history, you have found people's bodies in whale sharks. Kind of, kind of eerie, you know, whale sharks. And so, it is not impossible. But look at Matthew chapter 12. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 12. Here is a, a verse to confirm that taking things literally is true and is right. Matthew chapter 12. And come to verse number 40. Matthew 12. In verse 40. Now Jesus talks about his resurrection. And going down to the earth. And then coming up. Verse number. Uh, what did I say verse 30? 40. 40. Verse 40. Verse 38 says this. Verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered saying. Master. We would see a sign <coughs> from thee. We want to believe you, but we need to see some evidence that you're telling the truth. We want to see something supernatural, something spectacular. Kind of like people today. People today say, I won't believe unless I see some kind of sign. I want some lightning flash. I want some earthquake. I want the earth to shake. I want, I want to feel something. That's what they're looking for. And then he says in verse number 39, He answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Now you do learn something from that already that people who look for signs to to want to, to believe, they have to have something to, to compel them to believe. He says, that's not that's not what you look for. You don't want to have a sign all the time because first of all, the Jews require a sign, not Gentiles. That's what we all are. We don't need to have signs to believe. We have to just believe what the Bible says instead. Right. Now it says in verse 39, and there shall no sign be given in. So the Lord says, not give me any kind of sign. But the sign of the prophet Jonah, okay, Jonah, the sign of the prophet Jonah, we're going to think about Jonah, he's telling the scribes and Pharisees, what happened to Jonah? Verse 40, for as Jonah, as Jonah was three, oh no, was three days and three nights, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or whichever day you choose, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart, well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so Jesus himself says, 
it was really, it really happened like that because just like that happened to Jonah, I will be in the earth for three days and three days, and then I'm going to resurrect myself. So I think he's saying this was a literal event that happened. So you take it literally, you won't be wrong. Okay, so read it like read any publication and uh, for its intended purposes. For example, Red Sox beat the Yankees 12 to 3. What does that mean? That means Yankees lost again. That's what that means. Uh, they scored 12 runs, and Yankees scored only three. What does this mean? Yankees devastated after the loss. Were they really devastated? Were they destroyed? No, they just felt really bad because they lost by a big margin. That's what that means. But you take things literally. No, they felt really bad. Monstrous waves beat North Shore. What does that mean? Did it get up a whip and beat the people? No, it just means that there were big waves pounding. The, that's all. So you take things literally first. Don't, don't allegorize, allegorize or symbolize something that's meant to be literal. After a 20 mile hike, they were so hungry they could eat a horse. <laughs> really. That is figurative. Definitely. Absolutely. That just means they're very hungry. Okay? But they went on a 20 mile hike. What does that mean? They went on a 20 mile hike. Okay? Now, come to Mark chapter 8. Here are some more examples of taking things literally. Mark chapter 8. Matthew, Mark. People that are really intelligent, sometimes they're too smart for their own good because they want to break everything down, tear everything apart, dissect everything so much so they split hairs, they lose out any kind of blessing they could get, took it literally. Right. They want to be intellectually right and sometimes that's a real bad thing because your, your mind supersedes what the Bible says happens supernaturally. But this is not a supernatural thing in Mark chapter 8. Well, it is. Mark chapter 8 is supernatural. Mark 8, verse number 19. Mark 8, 19. When I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They sent him 12. Now, this was the feeding of the 5,000. Now, can you imagine this? You had how many loaves of fish? How many loaves of bread? Okay, here's a loaf of bread. One, and just pretend it's five, all right? And then how many fish? Two fish. Okay? See, the fish is not happy. There's two fish. Okay? They are not farm-raised. They are from the Sea of Galilee. They're fresh. They're not, they're not like um, farm-raised um, salmon. They're, these are... These are wild salmon, real kind. With five loaves of bread and two fish, 5,000 men and women and children, maybe even more. It says men, so we assume 5,000 M-A-L-E-S. 5,000 men. 5,000 men. If you want to say 5,000 men represent people, okay, fine, but there's probably more than 5,000 people. So, what you have here is uh, out of five loaves and two fish, how many people were fed? 5,000. And did you have leftovers? Yeah, leftovers. So something must have happened. He might reach into the basket and reaching into the basket. The disciples would split the crowds into 50s and then reach into here. 
gives, he goes around and they're feeding them the fish and bread. And can you imagine what they were thinking when they're doing that? Yeah. They're thinking, this is not possible. Yeah. This is not possible. This does only, that is not possible. Yeah. But it's, it's happening. So you take it literally because it says they fed 5,000. And then after that, they have full basket full. So it's kind of a, it goes against logic and your brain. But remember, um, Jesus is not just a man that was limited to time and space, but he did things supernaturally because he was God in the flesh. And he could do that. And the Bible reports these kind of things. Just believe it for what it says. You'll be okay. All right, here's another one. This one is kind of funny. Luke chapter 19. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 19. Now, if God cannot do supernatural things, then maybe the God that you're thinking about is kind of a made-up God. Maybe he's not really God because defining God means he's able to do supernatural things. But if your God cannot do it, and if your brain tells you, well, that can't happen like that, that's, that's too unbelievable, then maybe your God is too small. Luke chapter 19 and verse number 4. This is about a tax collector whom we all love. Think IRS agent. How many IRS agents have been hired now by the federal government? 89,000 to go after the rich so they pay their quote fair share. I, I think I think these agents have been hired to not just go after the rich but go after anybody that's got some money. Okay? What's the, they have a Bible verse that they believe what's thine is mine. Gee, where am I? Luke, cha, uh, Luke chapter 19. Here's a tax collector. His name is Zacchaeus, verse number one. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. You know why he was rich? He was rich because he cheated people. He charged them more than what they owed for taxes to the Roman government. And he was getting wealth on that, and people knew that, and he knew that they knew, but he didn't care because he had authority behind him in Rome, and he could do that kind of stuff that... Uh, cheating stuff and he he was uh, immune from anybody prosecuting him verse 3 and he sought to see Jesus who, who he was and could not for the press because he was a little little of stature what does that mean L little of stature small and short okay stature means what Some, look at the word dictionary stature means something like that he was little of stature he was a short guy so he was maybe like three feet tall. No, no, no. Maybe not. He wasn't a dwarf or a, a midget or mini honey, but uh, he was a short guy, shorter than average. So because of his short stature, he could not see and pass through the the crowds in front of him. They, he, he looked over the shoulder, he couldn't see. It's like being at a ball game and people standing up in front of him. Hey, sit down, sit. Down. I can't see the game. Sit down. And they turn back and say, Ah, be quiet. I pay particularly you did. Yeah, but I can't see through your body. Ah, be quiet. You're short. You're sitting down. Zacchaeus is short, he can't see because of the people. And so he climbs up a tree. Look at verse 4. Let's see if this is literal or not. And he ran. What does that mean? <laughs> he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. What does that mean? What did he do? If you were reporting, if you were a reporter from Channel 9, uh, you are, not Guy Hagi, but you are um, some reporter. I haven't watched the news, so. Uh, and you got, and we are here at Jericho. Hi, Joe. Joe Moore. 
Hi, Joe. We're in Jericho, and there's a crowd of people to come and see Jesus at this house. Now, I'm looking at a commotion that's going on over here. This is a little man. Let me find out who he is. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. Who are you? My name is Zacchaeus. My name is Zacchaeus. <laughs> what are you trying to do? Well, I, I, I heard so much about Jesus. I'm trying to come and see him, but I can't see because people are so tall, and maybe because I'm so short. And so the reporter says, yes, you are short. And the man, Zacchaeus, says, I'm offended that you said that I'm short. We're all the same, don't you know? And, and what are you trying to do? I'm trying to, I'm trying to see Jesus. Well, you can't see him because the crowd says, what are you going to do? He says, I don't know, but I'm going to find a way to see him. And so he's bouncing like this, jumping around, and he runs. Joe, 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 are you there? Joe, this man, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he can't see for the crowd in front of him. So he ran, and look, Joe, I see him climbing up a tree. What does she mean? He's climbing up a tree. Are you dumb? <laughs> he's climbing up a tree. Joe, this is unbelievable. He's climbing up a sycamore tree like he's a leper. Look at him climb. And now he's sitting on a big branch, looking down at everybody. Amazing. Now, that's what happened, and that's what I reported because that's what I see literally. So take the Bible literally for what it says. Because a lot of the Bible is like that. Now, there are things that are symbolism and allegorical, but first of all, take things literally. When they crossed through the Red Sea, what did they cross? Red Sea. Red Sea. When the Hebrew people came out of Egypt, Egypt, <laughs> came out of Egypt, they went through the Red Sea. Now, you know what somebody says? Nah. They couldn't have gone through the Red Sea because the account says that the waters parted like that. And on one side, they, see that wave there? They the one side stood up like that, and the other side stood up like that, and didn't come back down. It just kind of like, like jello just come out shook like jello, okay? But it didn't come down. So billions of tons of water like that. Well, that's too too crazy to believe. And they walked through on dry ground. They walked through on dry ground. Here's a big step. Okay? Walk through on dry ground. What does that mean? Well, <laughs> they walked through on dry ground because the water supported the ground miraculously had dried up so that there was no mud. That's kind of crazy to believe. Your intellect says that cannot happen in one night. But once again, if you take this literally, you get to believe that there's a great God who can do miracles like that for his people. That's what you can find out. But if you reduce God to, no, that's not possible. You're reducing God to your own understanding of what God is supposed to be like. And you're reducing him to just a man, which would be wrong. Right. All right, so he did walk through, they did go through the Red Sea, just like it says. Now, come to Acts chapter 1. Another example of taking things literally. Acts chapter 1. I hope to get to the figurative or the symbolic view to before I finish today. But if I don't, that's okay. Acts chapter 1. Now, Jesus is with the disciples and many others after his resurrection and in verse number 9 it says this Acts 1 verse number 9 
Now see if you can take this figuratively, figuratively or literally. Verse number nine. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. Okay, now, what is all that about? So here he is talking to his disciples after his resurrection. There's 500 at least watch, listening to him. And as he's talking, he begins to rise from the ground. Verse number 9. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, that means they watched him, he was taken up. And a cloud received him. What does that mean? That means he disappeared up so high, he disappeared above the clouds. So he went up. Now, if you take that literally, you would say, well, this is like a space launch, rocket launch, um, space shuttle launch, because you see it going up. Every time Cape Canaveral, Cape whatever, they have a, a blast off, it's a big deal. People want to see it, they film it and everything, and they watch it take off, and it, it rises uh, into, the, into the air, into space. Well, that's what Jesus did, if you take it literally. Then you have to ask yourself, why could that not have happened? Why could that not have happened? Now, for man to do that, that cannot happen. But this is not just a man who did this. This is the Jesus Christ who did this. Therefore, it's very reasonable that he did it exactly as Luke says. And then come to chapter 2. Chapter One more literal statement. Chapter 2. Now, at Pentecost, on Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem... Something strange happened, and this strange event is today used to justify speaking in tongues. Uh, let's see, in verse number 1, Acts 2, verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Now, you notice that word in verse number three, as, and the word like. That's to emphasize and to indicate that this is not something uh, that is comparing something. Something unlike to comparing something, teaching something. Like as, like as. It is like this. It is as this. So it is like fire. And it sat upon each of them. It wasn't fire, but it's like as fire. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Now look at verse 4. They began to speak with other tongues, and as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the speaking in tongues is what a lot of Christians like to do today. And along with the tongues is the healings and the doing of miracles. That all goes along with speaking in tongues. If you speak in tongues, which we don't, if you speak in tongues, inevitably, someone's going to tell you you can heal people too. It just comes with it. Now watch carefully. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues, other tongues. Now you have to ask yourself, what are the tongues that they spoke in? It doesn't say so far, so we have to keep reading. Well, since you asked, sometimes you don't know what it is right away until you keep on reading, as is this case. Now look at verse number 5. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Who? Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Verse 6. And now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them. Every man heard the disciples. 
heard them speak in his own language. Now, in verse number four, these men, these disciples, spoke with other tongues. In verse number six, the tongues are defined as a language. Now watch carefully. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Now, he's going to give you in verse 9, in verse 10, and in verse 11, the places from which they came and they heard these Galileans who did not have a formal education in other languages, they heard them speak in these, from, from in, in the tongue from where these, these guys came from. So do you understand what's going on here? They spoke in an unknown tongue, unknown to them, but known to these people from Parthia, uh, the Medes, Elamites, and so on. So in verses 9, 10, 11, what you have here in verse number 12, what you have here is that they were speaking in another language, but it was not gibberish or baby talk. It was like saying this, I do not speak another language. I just look Chinese, I don't speak Chinese. I speak somewhat English. But uh, sometimes I speak with forked tongue. Okay. But I do not speak Mandarin or Cantonese or Egyptian or Italian or French. I don't speak any of that. Now, if I heard Miranda, who does not know French, speaking French, I would say to me, well, that sounds like a different language. Let's see, I, that sounds like French because you mentioned French fries or something like that. <laughs> but uh, then I would know. And, and if, if Carmen, Carmen spoke in German or she spoke in um, uh, Portuguese or she spoke in something else, then I would say, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. And this guy who's Samuel, he speaks, uh, what did you just speak? Yeah. No, no. You just spoke uh, Portuguese, and he's from Portugal. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? And he says, I know what she's talking about. She's speaking in my tongue. She's speaking Portuguese. I said, ah. And then, uh, and then someone else hears some other disciples speaking in their native tongue. That's what's going on up here. So if you take things literally, you would not be call up into this area that says, okay, if you have the Holy Spirit today, you're going to speak in another tongue. No. It's a different thing. They spoke in a known language. It was unknown to them, but people who came from that 16 places, they heard them speak in French, Italian, Portuguese, and even Pidgin. <laughs> and what? Uh, the kind uh, from Wamanawa, Hebron. And so I understand that, they say. If you take this literally, you're all right. That's the first rule. And so, there are, of course, figurative speech. There are, of course, uh, symbolism in the Bible. But you first get this right. From here, first, then you look for other things. Okay, so here it is. Number one, first of all, do that. Then number two, there are symbolic words, and there is symbolism behind, behind a literal statement, for sure. Okay? A lot of preaching from the Bible is first establishing the literal truth and then going to transition to the, the allegorical, the symbolism, or the application. Let me write this other word down here. Uh, I should say spiritual. Spiritual application. First, 
find that out. Then you might want to look for that. And for sure, you can find this. Something that applies to your life today. That's what you find out. That's the third part. That's not the first part. That's the third part. So when we talk about, I take literally that God opened up the Red Sea for them. Okay. What's the symbolism? Okay. Symbolism is that God can make something impossible. God can do the impossible. What does that mean to me? That would be that. Oh, he can do impossible things like he did back then for me. That would be accurate. That would be true. Okay. Can God do the impossible today like he did back then? Back then? Yes. It's a lot of different things to think about, all right? Any questions? So that is a little bit today about um, uh, literal interpretation. I want to give you one verse, though, about a figurative statement. Come to Psalm chapter 91. Let me finish up by telling you Psalm 91. After you've been told for 30 minutes, take things literally, yet there is symbolic figurative talk, that is for sure. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. And look at verse number 1. Psalm 91, verse number 1. He, he, that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Notice it says, God is like a refuge and a fortress. Now keep reading verse number 3. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Okay, so because God is our fortress and refuge, he's able to deliver, maybe protect or rescue from the snare of the fowler or someone who wants to trap you and from the noisome pestilence or from a natural calamity of disaster. Verse 4, he shall, he shall cover thee with his feathers. And under his wings shalt thou trust. Now wait a minute. If I'm to take verse 4 literally, it is saying God has wings and God has feathers. So how does this work out? Well, obviously this does not mean a literal statement because he is teaching you from verse 2, the Lord is my refuge and fortress. He's teaching verse 3, he can deliver you from the fowler, that fowler could be your enemy of any kind or any sort, and from the noisome pestness, and he, because he can do that, he is like, he's like a bird that can cover you with his wings. Now, there is a verse in the New Testament that talks about that. I'll just turn to you, turn, turn for you, Matthew 23. Hey, you turn yourself, Matthew 23. We'll connect the Bible verses together to come to a conclusion. Matthew 23. Remember, Psalm 91 just says, God has wings and he has feathers. You're told today to take things literally. Does that mean that God has wings and feathers? Well, let's, let's do some thinking here. In Matthew 23 and verse number 37, Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he is very brokenhearted about the rejection of him. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets 
and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, watch carefully, even as a hen, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. What is he teaching? You ever see a, a mother hen gather her chickens under her wings and protect it from the weather or rain? Well, he says, I'm like that where I am like, I have wings and feathers, I, I protect you. That's what he's talking about. So there's a room, there's a place for that, there's a place for that, there's a place for symbolism for sure. Okay, so it's not one of them all the time. Any questions? No questions. Okay. Did I make it kind of clear? Sort of clear. Very clear? Okay, good. We'll take a break. I'll give you some more of those 14 cookie statements.